Blog Talk Radio. opportunity to launch the new year with a very special guest who we have had on in the past, although many of you perhaps will be meeting Dr. Jean Schrock, meeting him in the internet anyway for the very first time and hopefully meeting him in person soon for those of you in the Pacific Northwest because he is going to be doing an event here next week, which we will be talking about in just a moment. And let me tell you a little bit more about our guest tonight. Dr. Dean Schrock is a very special person in the way that he has so beautifully integrated spirituality, and guidance from the heart with his professional background as a psychologist who has helped many, many people with cancer and other serious illnesses and has done some fascinating research as to how we can better understand Why Love Heals, Why Being Supported Heals. He is the author of more than one book, including Doctor's Orders, Go Fishing, and Why Love Heals, Mind, Body, Spirit, Medicine, Living and Thriving, a Mind, Body, Spirit Program for Wellness. He has done many um, professional conferences and articles. He does events in Oregon in all kinds of settings and all across the country. Um, And he has contributed to Dr. Andrew Wheel's textbook, Integrative Oncology. And he's also contributed a wonderful chapter to The Power of the Heart, a book and a movie. I've always want to elevate 
all of the work around the power of the heart. And Dean has a chapter in the book, Side by Side by Worldwide Way Showers, which is truly what Dean is. And what's so interesting about his background is Dean served for many years as director of mind-body medicine for a physician management group of 40 cancer centers. So he has done this work and brought this work and this research in the world in a very integrated way, which is exactly what we need right now. And his website is deanschrock.com. And I do want, even though this is a rather lengthy introduction, to bring attention to the fact that Dean is indeed doing an event. And for those of you in the Pacific Northwest, he is going to be in our area doing a, um, he's going to be the inspirational speaker heading the Wednesday night service at really one of the most um, wide-reaching New Thought churches in not just the Pacific Northwest, but really the world and in the country. This church is, or this center is, is a wonderful place where he's going to be speaking in Lake Oswego, Oregon. And he will be there January 17th at 7 p.m. And um, I encourage you to go to our Facebook page for the show, which I try to get people to go to anyway, because I want more of you to know about our Face page, where we have all the details posted, and I'll continue to publicize um, those details. But it is the New Thought Center for Spiritual Living in Lake Oswego in Oregon. So without further delay, I am just so happy to bring back onto the program Dr. Dean Schrock. Welcome back, Dean. Thank you, Susan. You know that I love talking with you. I look forward to this evening. Oh, well, it's it's just such a joy to hear your voice because I think so many of us, we we interact in, in Facebook land in different ways. I'm always, um, and, and I encourage people to go to your page where you have a lot of inspirational content that you share, and it really is a joy to have you here again. Um, it's been, been a few years, and um, it's wonderful to have you back. Well, thank you. Well, tonight... Um, a word has come to me to kind of start entering into this topic. And, and I think it's a word that you know a lot about. And, and it seems important in this, this understanding of healing. And that word is trust. For some reason, I had this word trust. Just can, can you help us, Dean, as we enter into this, because it's such a challenge when people have a major illness is where trust comes into play. And another word, love, of course, and joy, and all of these things, where do these come into play and how do they help us? Well, it's interesting that you bring up the word trust right away because with all of the 
research or work I've done and looking at what can help people be healthier and happier, I am convinced that trust is maybe the key to helping people um, make life truly happier and healthier. You know that, of course, I looked into an understanding and definition of love because I had concluded in my research when Penn State University had looked at the wellness program that I'd been teaching for years and thought that uh, we could find whether or not it was truly effective with cancer patients and, and indeed found that we could improve survival with cancer. So I was attempting at that time to look at the will to live. I had interned many years before and worked with Dr. Carl Simonton and his program, and that was the thrust of what he did in his early work as an oncologist, but uh, in the field of what tends to be now called psychosocial oncology. And so Uh in the process, however, what I found was that people found it too selfish to really take time for themselves when I asked them to think about what really makes their heart sing, what uh, really brings them great joy and meaning in their lives, and then to apply that to create a much better balance in their lives between doing what they'd really love to do and all the other things they should be doing, they found it too selfish. They had come to believe, as best I could determine, that everyone and everything else should come first. And so when these people lived longer, I couldn't comfortably conclude that it was because of the will to live that I attempted to instill within them because they couldn't really do it. And that's one quite unusually uh, the editors of the journal who asked to publish my research actually asked for my clinical opinion. They thought that people were going to really want to know how it was that people lived longer after just 12 hours of this wellness class. And so I was yeah. very pleased to offer my clinical opinion, and that's when I concluded, as you said earlier, that it was because people felt listened to, cared for, supported, and a connectedness within the group. And while I said that, and and indeed that's the feedback I got from going to all these cancer centers working with literally thousands of people, but how does that translate into remission from cancer? You know, it sounds nice on the surface, you know, like Dean Ornish's conclusion with heart disease, that it was really about feeling loved and cared for. But it was important to me to try to understand, again, how how does that really work, though, Beyond that, it sounds nice. You know, if you try to really speak with an oncologist or someone seriously about cancer care, um, the conversation isn't going to go very far, talking about feeling loved and cared for compared to radiation chemotherapy surgery. Yeah. So it's been a fascinating journey for me. Then get back to your word trust is to discover, as best I can determine, both from a scientific perspective, like including Dr. Dean Ornish's work and research, but also for my own many years of meditation and thought and study um, from a metaphysical perspective. But there was nothing probably quite like quantum physics in my uh, study of it to realize that the underlying everything, all of uh, physical matter as we understand it, you get down to the smallest of the small and there's just potential energy. There's, There's no matter whatsoever. But then to find that uh, several uh, Nobel Prize-winning physicists and others, major uh, physicists in the field, 
we're talking about this underlying field as one of love and compassion and harmony and order. And yeah. that that so coincided with my looking into uh, religious or spiritual or philosophic um, matters because early in my career I was very concerned about uh, the issue of suffering. I, I was so naive at first thinking I could just fix people and then when I found that I couldn't just fix people, it really alarmed me. I felt quite helpless. So as I was yeah. looking into suffering and doing further reading, um, it, it occurred to me that while religions disagree, I mean this well, on almost everything, they managed to agree on two. And one was that we are one with everything, and the other is the, the golden rule. Every system has some form of the golden rule. But it absolutely boggled my mind to think about the idea that we are one with God, we are one with all that is. And, but that's what these physicists were finding um, in the area of uh, quantum mechanics or quantum physics is that underlying all of uh, matter or physical um, understanding of the world is this connected, intimately connected field of, again, as I mentioned earlier, love. Dr. David Bowman particularly called it a field of love. And yeah. so as best I understand it, and why I think people really live longer uh, as a result of going through my program, is because this underlying field is one of is truly harmony and order, complete benevolence. And when you think of that from a metaphysical perspective, that doesn't sound so far off at all. It sounds like the same thing. And so I believe that when you are resonating with this primary reality, as Dr. Bohm called it again, that you then are resonating with the core truth of who you really are. Everything is God manifesting in form or this energy field that I think goes far beyond just understanding of what we now know about this quantum field. And, and it's one of perfection. It's one of everything, I'm going to say sugar and spice and everything nice. It's, it's, a, it's <laughs> truly a life force energy that's been called many names throughout history. And I think that when people feel loved and cared for, it's resonating with the core truth of the universe, of who they are, and then things naturally simply go better. The body resonates with its, its true understanding. Every cell in the body and then we simply become healthier naturally. Yes, yes. You know, there are just so many things that, that come to, to my heart as I listen to you speak, Dean. And, and you know, one thing that kind of occurred to me, um, because one of the questions I've had, and you sort of answered it just um, almost, almost telepathically in a way, although it's a different way of looking at this. I have been thinking about people who perhaps are relatively isolated. There may be people out there who feel that way to a degree. And I wonder, Dean, if you have, um, you know, maybe you don't have a lot of family around or, um, or, or something, you know, in terms of people. And yet, if you have that relationship with the divine, does that then boost our feeling of of being supported? And then also the question associated with this too that I've been thinking about 
is um, like say someone goes out to a cancer center and maybe they're they're kind of on their own. I mean, just because of their situation for some reason. And how do we help to support people in that situation? That's another question I have because I just have this feeling there's somebody out there listening who maybe feels that um, maybe in their life they don't have all the love and support that they would like to have right present with them. And and how do we boost that? I was wondering within your within your work and how does spirituality itself and knowing this oneness and just how we can all be with one another, I guess, in a sense of of how can we help boost that and help one another? Well, uh, one of the first answers I would certainly offer is meditation. What, mm-hmm. um, although probably going back to the 70s when uh, Dr. Herbert Benson at Harvard began to study meditation and came up with what he called the relaxation response and even wrote a book that title, he, he clearly quickly discovered, and to his real credit, that meditation had real of physiologic benefits. And in that process, though, as you begin to really study and understand meditation, the historic reason for meditation is actually helping people discover the truth of who they are, is deeper understanding, like I say, one with all that is. So if one were to meditate, which you can do anywhere at any time, obviously if you're in a more quiet setting and not distracted, it's easier to do, but you can actually connect with that core truth. And there's a, um, you used the word telepathic. I was inclined to say telepathic <laughs> quality to this. Yes. But an intuitive quality. Uh, I sometimes even call it the wisdom channel. Just like there are radio signals surrounding all of us wherever we are. And fortunately, we don't resonate with a, that particular frequency or, you know, our brains would just be bombarded with all of these Uh, shows and so forth, but I really believe that it's really a matter of tuning in, just like if you had a radio, you know, the sound or the the source of that is not coming from the radio, it's coming from somewhere else, but we have a tuner, an amplifier, and we can get that message. Well, wherever this original um, source of information resides, which I believe is in everywhere and everything, it's simply a matter of tuning in, and it's always available and a deep sense, a deep, deep sense of feeling loved and cared for is, is a huge part of the feeling or the insights that will come by uh, making that connection through meditation. Yes. Yes. How um, have you observed, Dean, people who um, go out into nature Perhaps you know. I, I know that um, on this show we've had various um, programs over the years where we've had meditation experts come on and talk to people. I know you help people to meditate as well um, in part of your your teaching. But um, and people will often say, you know, some people I don't know how to meditate, but <laughs> but maybe they know how to walk, you know, just out in in a beautiful place and. I was curious, um, even when you worked at the cancer centers or in your experience with helping people, how how that assists. Are there ways to help us to find stillness um, for for some people who who maybe 
um, just aren't haven't really learned yet how how to enter into that space, or or maybe they could know, but they're somewhat um, they have this illusion of unknowing of not knowing what to do. I'm just curious how you've helped people in that way. Okay, well, one of the things I say in my book Why Love Heals was given to me uh, through a meditation, and that nature is the purest form of love. Remember, everything is this um, divine consciousness manifesting in form. And nature is its purest form. It's, it's truly untouched. So that because everything has consciousness, everything is a vibration, to go into nature is to, it's almost like when I say getting uh, bathed in this uh, very wholesome healing energy and would naturally then, um, I believe, then uh, affect uh, a healing or uh, the body be in a greater rapport and then respond by functioning more um, in a more healthy way. But also in terms of meditation, it might be helpful for our audience, Susan, to tell them that meditation is really just about focusing your attention. I might say further on something non-threatening, but it's about narrowing your attention. And when Benson did his early research, he simply had the people re- repeat the word one over and over again as a way to help them center and narrow their attention. And then he progressed to having them repeat a, an affirmation of some kind that had special meaning for them. But in fact, if one were to go out in nature, again, be in this uh, almost ideal setting for accomplishing, you know, connecting with this core of who they are, that that alone, that focus on the beauty of nature, the quiet of nature, is is a form of meditation in itself. Like the idea that maybe is a little more clear if you were to sit down in front of a campfire or in front of a fireplace and watch the flames dance, you know, as the wood burns. You know, how, I won't say almost hypnotizing or mesmerizing that can be. Well, that narrowing of your attention in that way is actually a form of meditation or uh, being by the ocean and uh, listening and watching to the waves uh, come in um, and either you know bounce off the rocks or lap onto the shore. That's another lovely, uh, very effective form of meditation. It doesn't have to be something that some people think maybe is associated with some Eastern form of religion and practice. In fact, is actually all religions practice meditation in some form, just like in Catholicism, people would repeat, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me over and over. It's a, yeah. an affirmation and way to help people focus. So there are things people can do very naturally, simply sitting down and listening to music that they love uh, as a way of helping them focus and relax. And literally, the body responds by relaxing more. And as it does, it begins to function in a more healthy way. Yes, yes. I I love how um you make it more approachable and it seems like like that's that's really important for for many of us to hear and I I actually count myself in that group, you know, that I need to hear more about how to to make um make getting into meditative states um more approachable is that we we it seems like we set up our own um our, bar- our barriers 
to it that that aren't real that that that's not really what it's about and that that we really can enter into that place of of stillness and and I have another question for you about you know when somebody is facing cancer and I I would say almost all of us in the audience um many of us have had at least a scare I have actually had a scare many years ago. I would not be doing this show if not for um, what happened those years ago, many years ago. And um, and so, and this is a show that where we often focus on fear. And what I'd like to explore here is that um, how do you help people work with um, you know that fear? I mean, it can be pretty pretty visceral um you know i mean it's cancer's really really scary um when when you have to deal with it. and i had um i we've all known people who've really gone through a journey with it if or maybe people out there themselves certainly have and so so um and i know meditation is a tool how does love help us with fear Oh, I'll be glad to answer that. But I was, I was thinking first, if you don't mind, while I have this other thought on my mind. Yes. Say, no, how, let it, let it, how do you let it come? <laughs> how do you how do you deal with people who are, are naturally afraid of cancer or being yes. diagnosed with cancer or someone they love? Well, yes. probably except for AIDS, the disease AIDS. There's nothing more scary to people than cancer because, generally speaking, yes. people equate cancer with dying. The idea is if you get cancer, there really truly is a threat of death. Well, there's nothing more threatening or more fearful than the threat of your annihilation, the threat of your no longer existing. So it's a very, very real fear. Make no mistake. But what I like to do is I say just really give them some information that usually I'm the first one giving them. And I always thought this positively should have been told them by someone who is addressing their uh, diagnosis and treatment from a medical um, position. Anyhow, the deal is, when your immune system is functioning properly, you talk about cancer being scary, it's your immune system is scary. Its job is to identify and neutralize any foreign substance, and that includes cancer cells. Indeed, it would seem, as best I can determine, that we all have cancer cells in our bodies at various times in our lives. So why don't we all have cancer? Because your immune system is functioning properly. So the key for me and what I try to impress on them and then tell them ways how to do it is to get your immune system working better again. If it is, really, you can't have cancer. Yes. Yes. You know, okay, I have, a, I have another love. question. Can I ask one okay. more question based on of what you said? Of course, of course. Is that when it comes to fear, well, I want to go back for a second, is um, I think people also nowadays, and for many years, fear suffering too. Actually fear the suffering part because there's a feeling that um, cancer treatment itself 
although people make many choices, that's yet another big topic, um, and I've known many choices that people have made, um, but um, it, that fear of not only being annihilated, but that you know you're going that you're going to suffer, and so um, and and how can we help alleviate that and and to help people to to find ways to to deal as productively with it as possible? Well, that's interesting that you say that because I had a number of thoughts, but the one that really st- stood out for me was that is the title of my first book, Doctor's Orders Go Fishing. The, yeah. You know, around when I was trying to instill this will to live, and so the title in my book means do what brings you the greatest joy and meaning in your life. Again, the idea of a will to live. Why do you want to live? What makes life worth living? And do it. And so there's a, there's a common sense understanding that when you're busy doing what you like to do, you tend to forget your aches and pains. So yeah. I, I would talk to people uh, because there was limited research at the time, but I found that they responded so much better to stories uh, than if I cited research as such. And so I would, I would use the example because we were based in central Pennsylvania and uh, trout fishing and deer hunting were simply, you, you just lived to do these things. <laughs> the truth of the yeah. first day of buck season, they closed most public schools in the state of Pennsylvania. Oh and the first <laughs> week of buck season, we lost up to two-thirds of our patients. It's just what people did. They loved to do it. Uh-huh. So I, I would uh-huh. raise the question to them. Supposing we had this really sick deer hunter, I mean so sick, not even able to get out of bed, but it's the first week of buck season, where do you think our deer hunter will be? And almost in unison they would say, in the woods. You are not uh-huh. going to keep a true deer hunter out of the woods the first day of buck season. So then I would say, okay, what? If, in fact, our deer hunter gets a buck, do you think our deer hunter is likely to feel better or worse for having gone hunting? And invariably, they would say, feel better. And then it would make it even better. I would say, do you think our deer hunter is going to be nicer to live with when he or she gets home? Yeah. So everybody wins when you go fishing, when you're doing what you love. And the science behind that comes from what a field called psychoneuroimmunology. We know that your emotional state literally registers and affects the function of your immune system. So that when you're doing what you love, which I believe joy is maybe as good a definition and understanding of, a, of an aspect of love, without joy there is no love. Then yeah. you are, in fact, again, resonating with this core fundamental truth, energy, and you're naturally, again, simply going to be better, feel better, function better. Now, that doesn't automatically mean you're going to uh, be able to, you know, forego other medical treatments or other kinds of treatments to assist you in the process of uh, bringing something um, under control, this disease process. But what I'm also thinking about now as I'm saying this to you is I really believe uh, from a shamanistic perspective, as I was studying and trying to understand love and how it would heal, 
and certainly shamans have this deep understanding of connectedness of everything, but that your symptoms and, and cancer, whatever the diagnosis, um, is simply a symptom of something being out of balance in your life. And so you can learn to go within and access your own inner wisdom and determine what, in fact, is out of balance. It may sound odd to you, but this is something uh, Dr. Carl Simonton did in his program, and I had known about, but I made sure that I incorporated it into mine, is that you go in and you ask your cancer, what is the message? Why uh-huh. are you in my life? And the answer may be something as simple as nutrition-related, um, exercise-related, and more often, though people um, may not really appreciate this as much, is stress-related. And so yeah. stress and these other things, again, can compromise your immune system. But I remember Dr. Simonton telling me very early on that he believed that um, unresolved stress of some kind, and some emotional something or other, uh, almost always preceded a diagnosis of cancer. Yeah, that um, it, it makes sense because your immune system would would be compromised, and so then, you know, it makes us want to think about how we deal with our stress. You know, before any of us ever encounters any kind of illness, we're motivated to basically go fishing. I guess that's right. <laughs> and I'm so pleased you said it. Yes, it's the do best the antidote to stress. It is. It's the yeah. best antidote to stress. It's the best preventive medicine. It, I, I mean it sincerely. It sounds, you know, so lighthearted to tell people to go fishing, you know, when you think of otherwise what people n- normally do in terms of treating cancer or staying well. Um, but I'm, I'm convinced of it. You know, Joseph Campbell, um, in his wonderful studies of uh, you know, myths and parables and fairy tales and the wisdom they contained. And one of the most dominant that he uncovered in his very major study of these um, different parables and all was follow your bliss. And I'm sure most people in your audience would have heard about this or know about this. It is a basic fundamental wisdom to do more of what brings you joy in your life and why that would lead to uh, someone being happier and healthier. I um, I feel that, um, you know, we, we almost can't do that enough, and that our priorities in our society, um, we have a tendency that to stress feeds stress. You know, you get so caught up in a career, for example. Um, we I think we don't realize that we actually need to take that time. Um, that And I'll give a, a really good example that I've observed, and I bet you've observed this on the beach. You, I know you walk at the coast and things, although that's way out there. But one of the things I observed out here is how few people are walking in a beautiful setting that's right near them, you know, that's very accessible. There's some really beautiful places to walk near where I live. And and because it seems like our society never gives people a break. You know, so many people, 
and, and I could be the same way too. In fact, I find that happening sometimes when I have more work that I'm working on. You know, I I it, I have to I have to actually make that getting outside a priority. But our society seems to frown upon it. That's that's what I'm thinking, and we're not helping ourselves as a society because ultimately, if everybody, you know, why are we seeing so many people getting? illnesses um, of, of many kinds, including cancer, um, we, we just have a society which doesn't value that time that we need. And not just at the gym, but, you know, maybe they're at the corporate gym or something. That's not enough. That that real time that we need with spirit to to revitalize ourselves. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, I remember writing down, I gave a a lecture last night, uh, a note when I was preparing for my talk last night, and it's a quote from Rumi, the poet Rumi, and the quote is, Uh the soul is here for its own joy. And I remember the Buddha also talking about the relationship between happiness and health. So I think that there's no question that our early conditioning from our parents and family and community and culture is like I discovered when I couldn't comfortably conclude that my patients were living longer because of the will to live. They said it was too selfish. Everyone and everything else should come first. And they truly didn't then really apply this in a way that I thought was really why they lived longer. And then, like I say, when I got so much feedback over the years, okay, tell me what really helped you and what didn't, so that as I kept going on to different cancer centers, I might be able to uh, do or say something differently better to help people. And that's when I learned that it wasn't any particular coping skill I taught that helped them as much as, uh, I'm going to say, the heartfelt way I said it, and that these people said, I listened, I cared, I was sincere, and that confused me at first. How could that have made the difference rather than, again, some specific thing like stress management, guided imagery, meditation? And uh-huh. so that's what helped to open my eyes and make me question and result in my book, Why Love Feels, also that there really is something more to this. And it was really exciting for me to discover there was some research behind it, really good research to support that when you feel loved and cared for, heard and understood, it could affect especially the researchers there with heart disease. And that what really um, underlies heart disease is feelings of isolation, but not just isolation in a social way, but isolation from your feelings. We do a real good job of getting people to cut off from their feelings. And then also from um, their, I want to say, um, their their real integrity or or authenticity of who they are um, out of a fear of rejection. You know, you've got to fit in. You've got to conform. You've got to do what others think in order to feel loved. And so that's a huge hurdle, a huge hurdle. But I believe that when we can approach ways to help the body uh, realign Um, and help uh, an individual really do feel more loved and cared for and that they're ideally perfect already if they really understood 
the core truth of who they are. Um, but there are things, you know, we can do to help them in that process and, and get their focus off of, you know, I have to do this to be successful and I have to do this, you know, to be thought well of and only if I do this mm-hmm. instead of, hey, no, you know, follow your heart, follow your bliss, do what brings you joy. That's, it's, it's, it can be a tough sell even though it makes sense. Um, but I, I was blessed to be in the position I was in and to help people at least rethink this. And I know that I, I really was able to help some people um, and I had to learn that I really could, but just having done this for so many years. Um, but some of the tools also, I, I want to say, were extremely effective, like the guided imagery that I taught them. And there were wonderful stories, um, and also including meditation, um, where I know that it saved people's lives and allowed them to live not only longer, but real quality of life before they died. And then Dr. Simonson was also convinced and interested in quality of death. As you learn to live better, that he he found and and was very interested in that we could help people in the quality of their death. You talked about suffering earlier. Well, you don't have to just fall apart and suffer before you die of whatever, um, and certainly including cancer. Yes. Yes, you know... Um, one of the most powerful aspects of yoga, and actually I have to admit I've kind of lapsed in my yoga practice, although one of these days I need to, is, is there's a there's a um, part of it where you, you surrender in a way. And um, I, I found that very powerful. Um, and, and I was only starting to glimpse it, but that has stayed with me, even though I don't consider myself an expert yoga person by by any means I, um and and it had to do with surrendering to our teacher told us had to do with surrendering to death ultimately but this particular part and it was the most um and and she used to claim that it was the the most challenging part to just let yourself surrender and be at peace but um i think that that um in our culture we we haven't quite learned our a productive relationship with that. And previous cultures and other cultures have a different way of looking at things. And and in our Western culture, we're really afraid of it, and we don't we avoid it. We don't want to think about it. And and to me, that was a very power, powerful part of yoga that stayed with me even even now. Yeah, well, that goes back to your trust word that you started off with this evening. And yeah, and I, I really enjoy telling people, if you only knew, not only you don't die, you can't die. That, yeah. You know, we, we are an energy that simply, in a way, just gets recycled. As far as I understand it, we are consciousness. Everything is. And we come into a physical life experience as a human for a very definite reason. I just proposed a moment ago that Rumi said the soul is here for its own joy. I believe that we're here to develop a deeper understanding of the truth of who we are, which I said earlier is the actual intent uh, behind meditation historically. And so when we have that understanding, um, it makes a huge difference. And I'm so pleased that 
the uh, near-death experience literature continues to grow and that it's been examined because that literature is so consistent about the idea that when you die, you don't die. And, in fact, it's very lovely wherever your awareness goes at that time. And um, and I know you've interviewed numbers of people on this subject. So it, it's – but anyhow, there's so much evidence supporting that you don't die. And and that it's it's almost like a graduation, if I could compare it, that you came here, you did what you came to do, and then you graduate and you go on, and your awareness now is just focused on something else at the time – and however you continue to learn and grow with your awareness simply on another focus. Yes, and, you know, the the interesting thing that, that um, I observed, when I when I went through that health scare many years ago, the way that it, wake, it woke me up, Dean, was because back then I hadn't resolved what I believed spiritually. I had been raised very conservatively, and so I was afraid of health. I realized I was afraid of hell, um, and then spirit worked with me, and it took a while. It really took quite a long while for me to work with that fear, um, and then people came into my life to help me work with it. And um, and so um, ultimately I needed to know that I was loved unconditionally, and um, that was very important. And then later in life, when I had like another, we all have these minor encounters, it seems. It was so much easier, you know, whenever you just become more and more at peace. But that particular belief system that I was raised with was very challenging for me. And I would imagine that in your practice, you know, maybe you've encountered different you know, depending on what we believe about death, reincarnation has really helped me. That was part of what came to me too. Is is learning more about reincarnation, and um, and I truly believe that's what happens. And it just gives me a great amount of peace about the process. Well, that's great. I, I I'm certain also that reincarnation is a fact. And we, as I said earlier, just come into a particular body and uh, circumstances that are all really, really, really pre-planned because you came in to experience or uh, serve uh, a particular role and purpose. And then when that's over, as such, when you've, when you've experienced what you chose to do in, uh, in the beginning... Um, then again, you just change focus, and um, it's it, it, from that perspective, death could be viewed as the most positive thing. You did what you came to do, and now uh, you continue this this spiritual journey. Yeah, you know, several times during our conversation tonight, we've used you've used the term "will to live," and I keep thinking about how joy feeds our will to live. I mean, when we are experiencing joy and when we are experiencing love, no matter how it comes to us, because love comes to us in different ways, um, it, 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 it seems like 
it they're really intrinsically related um in a way that that i mean life becomes a joy and even if you're encountering a challenge um there's still that place of finding joy yeah actually i'm remembering now uh, an exercise that i found to be extremely helpful for people uh which i did within my program and I, was, I would ask them to identify their interests and their needs and their values and really write them down. And, you know, don't second-guess yourself, but what is it that, that you genuinely enjoy doing? If you really could, what, what would you do that you would love? And then the list actually becomes pretty long pretty quickly in my experience. And then um, your needs. Okay, what do you really need? You know, like to feel loved and cared for, to feel respected, to uh, feel listened to and cared for, and write all that good stuff down. And then your values, what, what do you, in your heart of hearts, you know, what, what is most important to you? What do you really believe that is critical or crucial for you? And then, if, if you could, and, and I ask them to do this, is prioritize them. You know, what absolutely matters the most? And what I found uh, very consistently was the top three were their spiritual beliefs, their family, and their friends. Those were the three most important things to people. So then I would ask them, okay, now write down how you actually spend your time. Over here we listed uh-huh. all the things that really matter to you, and now how you actually spend your time. And, of course, I would say something like, okay, now what's wrong with this picture? Here's what you really want to do. Here's what you're doing. And then encourage them, if only to take one thing from their list a day and make sure you're doing that every day. What is it that truly is what you want will bring you joy? And I believe that uh, it's such a helpful exercise even to help people realize partly that it's okay to have fun, to take time for yourself, but when they do it, if they can, and it's a pretty major caveat, do it guilt-free. Remember, we've learned that everything else is supposed to come first, is that, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a very helpful exercise. You know, I have another question for you that I was wondering about. Is It seems like that aspect of feeling listened to um, would actually flow into some really productive work with people in relationships. You know, how maybe it's a wake-up <laughs> call. Well, yeah, because how many times nowadays, you know, relationships, people are in separate rooms of the house or whatever, you know what I mean? They're not, they're not communicating. They're not relating. And, and maybe, um, you know, it's a wake-up call to, to listen to one another. Yes, you laugh. <laughs> I'd like to hear your perspective on that. <laughs> well, you know, if you, when you think about relationships, you know, you, you can't not think about communication. And so right. while we think maybe communication is more about the talking, it's just as important, obviously, that someone's listening. And so yeah. uh, Dr. James Lynch, in particular, a psychologist, when he was doing his work at the University of Maryland for about 30 years, uh, looking at heart disease and um, high blood pressure and so forth, and he, like Dean Ornish, concluded that uh, underlying... Uh, heart disease was a feeling of isolation and loneliness. And he concluded that that it is essential 
that people feel listened to and understood. He couldn't have been more clear in his conclusions after all those years of research what it really was and that people honestly did need to and would search unconsciously until they expired looking to feel loved and cared for. Yeah, it really really makes us think about how we can support one another. You know, I I always think of that too because um, just in general, you know, how much – how much more can we be listening to one another? How much more can we be supporting one another? And, you know, we could talk about this for, for forever, but even like people who go into hospice, you know, when they, when they go in there, just to, just to sit with someone and make them feel, you know, maybe it's a person who doesn't have a lot of people around them, you know, go in there and, and, and just, just love somebody, you know, just share, just let them, let them be and listen. I mean, I think there's there's a lot of potential here as to how we can be helping one another and truly supporting one another. Right, no question. It reminds me of some other research by Stephen Post, who um, is a real advocate and researcher uh, looking at altruism and um, unconditional love. And looking at hundreds of studies, uh, concluded that the key to health is giving. If we could truly um, access that part of us that sees us truly all connected and that you can't affect any one part without affecting the whole and that you became a a giver in some way. Um, So whether you think of that as volunteerism or you know, something altruistic as you were suggesting, that he can actually measure improved health as a result. Yes, yes. I, I believe that. I could see absolutely how that would be true. Um, well, Dean, we've had such a, we've just kind of flowed with it tonight. It's been really a, a kind of a relaxed hour. It's been, you make me feel meditative just, just talking to you. Because <laughs> it, it's, been relaxing talking to you and I know that we're nearing the end of the hour and I want to make sure I give the, you the opportunity to talk about what you're going to be doing for those of the people listening live or before January 17th here in the Pacific Northwest and I can provide some of the details here that you're going to once again be speaking at the New Thought Center for Spiritual Living in Lake Oswego um, and it's on the Facebook page. You can click right through to that to that center, and that is on January 17th at 7 p.m. And um, let's see if I could even get the address up here, which is uh, is it up on their web page? Anyway, if you click, if you go to our Facebook page for Frontier Beyond Fear, there's a there's an image there. Where you can just click right through to this, but it's it's the New Thought Center for Spiritual Living in Lake Oswego. So. So, Dean, tell us about um, this um, opportunity coming up and how you're going to share with people at their Wednesday night gathering. Well, because that particular group, I've not spoken with uh, them about why love heals. Um, They've asked me to speak on that topic, and because also I have the book titled Why Love Heals, um, I've, I've agreed and gladly could talk about this. So similar to some of the things we've talked about tonight, I will be presenting there 
and they always welcome questions and comments. So uh, if people yeah. are interested, they can certainly um, ask whatever might ap- uh, appeal to them. Or, as you said, if they go to my website, deanschrock.com, there's a way to contact me. And I'm very approachable. I'd be glad to talk with them further. And if they wanted, they could get on my email list so that when I'm out speaking, I could let them know when and where I'll be in hopefully in their area or arrange to speak in that area. I enjoy getting requests to speak, and if I can work it into my schedule, I'm glad to do it. Yes, I know. I see you speaking at different different unity churches, and actually, you speak at all kinds of interesting places, medical centers. I mean, just such a diversity of places. And I I, I would encourage people to invite you. And I just wanted to tell people real quick in this area. I got the address. It's one zero four zero C Avenue, Lake Oswego, Oregon. So that's that's where you'll be speaking next week. But um, um, this this hour's gone by so quickly, and I just wanted to to thank you from my heart, Dean. Um, you are wonderfully present for people. I so appreciate how you're present for people on social media, and and just um, you are very much there for people, and we really appreciate that. And I want to encourage people to go to your website, deanschrock.com. And um, just thank you from my heart for for being here again. Well, thank you, Susan. I've always enjoyed speaking with you and appreciate the opportunity to share some of these ideas. I I learned a great deal uh, beyond my formal education in working with people, uh, firstly with uh, recovering from strokes and chronic pain and ended up working with cancer for many years. And so I'm glad to share what I've learned, just like I so appreciated my early work working with Dr. Carl Simonson, you know, learning um, and being able to talk with him truly one-on-one about his clinical opinions and so forth. So at this point in my life, I'm really pleased to share with what I've learned and how maybe I can help. Yes. Yes, well, that's that giving um, that's a part of you, Dean, and and thank you for for being that that giving spirit that you are and and um we you can help so many of us and and those who are listening have family members who want to help um want to help their family members find more joy who may be encountering an illness i mean there're just so many ways that you can help people help others and so thank you so much dean for being here tonight oh, yeah, thank you, Susan. You take care now. Okay, you take care too. Thank you again. Um, as the show wraps up, I just want to make an announcement next show, which is going to be quite special as well, launching our new year. Um, it will be this coming Monday, January 15th at 12 noon Pacific. I'm going to be playing an interview that I did with Irvin Laszlo, um, the Nobel Prize um, nominated. I think he's he's been submitted twice for that. He worked in all these fascinating capacities. Um, a real another way shower that's changing the planet. He's gonna. We did an interview that I will be playing on the show um, live on Monday, 
at 12 noon Pacific. So I invite you to come to the show and listen. Go to FrontierBeyondFear.com to learn all about those in the archive and in the future, including Dean's past episodes. They're out there, too. You just search for his name um, because I encourage you to listen to the shows with Dean Schrock as well, our guest today. So thank you, everyone. Now we're in the podcast. We kind of got quickly to the end. But those of you who've been with us across time listening to this show, um, listening to the podcast, I just want to recognize that your energy, I say this often, is present with us right now. We've been with you this whole time, and I just want you to feel that across time, that we're with you. We're here. Um, And thank you for being here because I feel your presence, too. So with that said, I do hope that today's episode has really assisted you. I, I just love the feeling of talking to Dean. He makes me feel very, very relaxed, and he does remind us to give through his own giving. He, he is such a wonderful example of, of a giving, loving soul, teaching us so much. So, so another thank you to Dean, and I hope that all of you find peace on your path, wherever this show finds you. Take care, everyone.